Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Question for you this morning, have you ever had the desire to do something but lacked the necessary tools to get the job done? Have you ever had the desire to do something but lacked the necessary tools to get the job done? I see my brother Jim Wally back there nodding his head. All the time, right? All the time, Jim. A few years ago, my wife wanted a table to go in our den area. She wanted uh, something very Joanna Gaines. Sadly, she was not married to Chip Gaines. She married me. She wanted uh, something rustic, sort of farmhouse style. She told me what she wanted. She found sort of an idea on the internet that she was sort of shooting for. And I agreed. I I thought that that table would look great uh, in our den. But Angela wanted this thing to be handmade. And I said, well, baby, I can't make that for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you married a preacher, not a, uh, a craftsman. I wished I could have built it for myself, but there's really not anything out there uh, that we had seen that, that looked like it. I, I even took her to some of the, the, you know, I took her to places real nice looking for furniture like Walmart and Target and... Uh, I mean, really nice. I even took her to, I mean, Target, y'all. That's, that's serious right there. And then I remembered my good buddy, Josh Rabin. We all love Josh. I told uh, Josh what I was looking for. I showed him a, a picture of what Angela was wanting. And so Josh said, you know what, Stuart? I can build it. I like guys that can build it. And so Josh went out and he got the wood he had the, the necessary tools to construct the table, and he delivered this table to me as a gift to my wife. And you see, I had the desire to build the table, but I lacked the tools and the knowledge to actually make it happen. And certainly that can be frustrating, by the way, when you apply that same type of concept to your spiritual life. Have you ever wanted to go on a mission trip, but you feel intimidated by the scope of the trip that's being offered? Have you ever wanted to share the gospel with a coworker or a friend, but you feel like you lack the biblical knowledge to even start the conversation or to get it moving along in the right direction? Have you ever felt like you wanted to teach a, a life group class, but you sense that maybe you're not praying enough, don't know enough scripture, or really are living a a scriptural, spiritual enough life to be that person that's standing in front of everybody delivering a message. And I think we've probably all been there before. I'm sure that the 12 disciples felt the same way when Jesus sent them out for the very first time. They probably had the desire to take the message of Christ to the masses, but maybe felt a little ill-equipped to actually speak the message or deliver the message in an an appropriate way or maybe even in in a capable way. And Jesus was about to send them out on quite a missionary adventure. 
He was going to send them out in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, on this adventure. See, we, we, when we go out on a mission trip, we want to take everything with us. We want to be as prepared as possible. But Jesus was going to do the opposite. He was going to send the 12 disciples out on a mission adventure and yet would not give them anything materially that would aid them in their journey. Jesus wanted to move the disciples from knowledge of the gospel to performance of the gospel. He was throwing them in, as we might say, the proverbial deep end. The disciples, by the way, probably felt a little bit like this little boy in this video. Check this out. Where's your mother? Eating water, Chris. Any luck? Not a bite this morning. Oh. See where the sun is? Up there. Yeah, on the back of your neck. You're casting a shadow. If you can see it, the fish can see it. Always fish with the sun in your face. The other bank's the place. That is, if you want my opinion. Gosh, Umbrado, I want your opinion. But Mama won't let me go over there. Why not? I can't swim. You can't what? I can't swim. How old are you? Six. me learn. Everybody should swim. Just reach out in front of you and grab a handful of water. Pull it back towards you. Not too fast. That's the way I learned. I did it, Amarato. I did it. Good. Well, how will he get back? Swim. Well, he might drown. Well, then you go get it. Well, I can't swim either. You ever felt like that? I promise you, I bet the disciples uh, felt that way. By the way, save your angry parenting emails. I'm not in favor of throwing children in the deep end to learn how to swim. Uh, so, so I'm not saying that we should ever practice the parenting practices of John Wayne. Uh, when you think about the ministry of Christ to disciples, you'll see a real consistent pattern of discipleship and leadership. The pattern repeats itself, by the way, over and over and over again as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here's the way the pattern goes. In stage one, Jesus ministers and the disciples watch, right? You see that. Jesus ministers and the disciples watch. That's basically where we have been in Luke chapters one through Luke chapters eight. And then stage two, we see Jesus minister and the disciples assist. So Jesus is doing the work and then the disciples are coming alongside him and he's allowing them to work with him. And then stage three, the disciples minister and then Jesus assists, okay? And then stage four, we have Jesus watches and the disciples minister. Jesus watched and the disciples minister. So this is where we are right now in Luke chapter 9. We're in this stage 4. See, Jesus has given them all the tools necessary to spread the gospel, to do these incredible works, and now it's time for Jesus to step back and allow them to swim. When we arrive at Luke chapter 9, the disciples are ready. They have the tools. They're, they're ready to go. And now Jesus is throwing them into the deep end of ministry. It is sink or swim time for the disciples. 
They really only have three options. It's the same options, by the way, that were given to this little boy. You could stay on the, the, the wrong side of the shore, which is not good. Or you could get thrown in and sink to the bottom, which is even worse. Or you could get thrown in and make it across and experience some success. And that's exactly what we have happening in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. So fill in this blank for me, if you will. The disciples, the disciples know the Messiah, and now they will share his message. Which, for the most of us here this morning, that's where we are. We know the Messiah. We, many of us would claim that we know Jesus Christ. But when's the last time you practically shared the message of the gospel with somebody that you encounter? It's difference, there's a difference between knowing Jesus and sharing Jesus. There's a difference in having knowledge of the gospel and actually performing the gospel. And that's where we are today in Luke chapter 9. So if you will, read along with me in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and we'll go through four very brief points together. Luke chapter 9, 1 through 6 from the ESV. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and not only have, and do not have even two tunics to go with you. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever you do not, and, and whoever does not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So four lessons to learn this morning from the disciples' leap of faith. They've been tossed into the deep end, and it's sink or swim time. Look at Roman number one with me. We have the disciples being completely obedient to Jesus. Completely obedient to Jesus. In verse 3, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. You can have one tunic, but not two. Now, we learn a lot about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see his compassion. <clears throat> we witness his miracles. We hear his teachings. And the gospel narratives do a phenomenal job of really rounding out who Jesus is. Now, we don't know everything about Jesus, but we have a really great concept of who Jesus is and what he was about. One thing that we do know about Jesus is his prioritization of material wealth over dependence of the Father. From the outside looking in, you might say that Jesus was just a poor commoner. And listen to what Jesus says about himself. In Luke chapter 9, verse 58, but Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And Jesus is saying, listen, I don't have a home. I don't have a bed. I don't have a pillow. I don't have a roof over my head. Even animals have it better than I do. And then he even talks about the corrupting qualities of greed, wealth, and riches in Matthew chapter 19. Listen to what he says in verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man had heard all of these things, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Again, from the outside looking in, Jesus would appear poor, but I believe that Jesus had more than most of us. Jesus, while appearing poor, was wealthy in God's presence and was wealthy in God's power. What he lacked in appearance, he made way more up for it in an uncomplicated life, unhindered by materialism and fads, and completely focused on the one thing that matters. And that one thing is this, the will of his Father. So Jesus, as he, as he begins to prepare the disciples to go out and to share this kingdom message with the world, he remarks that they can take nothing for their journey. No material possessions except those that might keep them clothed so they wouldn't be naked. No staff basically meant no protection and also meant, by the way, for an uncomfortable walk. Have you ever been on a long walk? It's nice to have a staff to kind of walk along with. So now Jesus is promising them, disciples, sorry, no protection. And by the way, I'm going to make this journey as difficult as possible on you. He also did not allow them to have a bag. No bag meant that there would be nothing hidden uh, for them to take on the journey. It meant that they'd be completely exposed to the elements. It means that they'd be completely exposed to their partner. They have nothing to hide, nothing to place, no pockets, but it also meant that they would be completely exposed to God. God would see them for who they really are and what they're really all about. So no protection, no uh, bag, so they were exposed. And then they wouldn't have any food and they would not have any money. Why? Why would Jesus do this? What lesson is Jesus trying to communicate? So if we are to look at the context in which this happens, surely Jesus is still trying to communicate something for us today. What lesson can we learn? in this mission adventure that he's sending the disciples on. I think that he commanded his disciples to do this this way because that's the way he lived his life. He wanted them, he wanted his disciples to experience his lifestyle. His lifestyle. As Jesus is obedient to the will of the fathers, the disciples should be obedient to the will of Jesus. He also desired to increase their faith, to, that God would provide for them, as well as they need to rely on God for these things. Why do you need protection? God's with you. Why do you need food? Don't you think God's going to feed you? Why do you need a roof over your head? Don't you think God will provide that for you on your journey? It reminds me of, of Matthew, right? When Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, listen, the, the grass doesn't worry about what it's wearing. The birds don't worry about where they're going to lay their head. Aren't you more valuable than the grass? Aren't you more valuable than the beasts of the field? Why do you worry about these things? Jesus is saying, listen, just trust. Have some faith. God's going to take care of you. And so Jesus sends the disciples packing, living just the way he lived. They would walk as he did. And hearing Jesus, the disciples were completely obedient to what Jesus commanded them to do. You know, we always give the disciples kind of a hard time. And yet it required a great deal of faith and trust to go into this world that Jesus was sending them into. By the way, the world that Jesus was sending them into was not always very cordial to the message of the gospel. 
There were always problems, always arguments, and always uh, fighting anytime Jesus began to talk about his gospel. Look what he says in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. And he says this, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They listened to what Jesus said, and they did what Jesus told them to do. Even when it was uncomfortable, and even when it was hard. So the disciples were completely obedient. But look at Roman numeral 2. There's always consistent obstacles. There's always consistent obstacles in the way. Look what he says in verse 4. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. Over Thanksgiving, my family uh, went to the beach. And my mom and dad uh, were very generous and helped us get there. Uh, we were only gone for a few days, but it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It's not that often that I get to get together uh, with my, all of my family. My brother lives up in Vestavia Hills, which is a pretty good little piece from here. And he's real busy and I'm real busy. All their girls do stuff and my boys do stuff. And so it's just hard to find that time where we can gather up together in one place under one roof. But before we went, we, uh, we went online and searched at a place that would be right for our family. Because when you have all these people coming, everybody has a different need. Amen? Everybody's looking for something different. It's never easy to find a place that meets everybody's needs. And by the way, everybody's needs are really important. I hope my brother is not watching this sermon right now. So my brother and his girls were coming, so they had to have bathrooms, and a lot of bathrooms. Girls, ladies, what is the deal with all the bathrooms? But that was a really important thing. Everybody needed their own bathroom. Well, good luck finding a house with 20,000 bathrooms. My mom wanted a place where she could relax, so a nice comfy couch and an area that she could kind of hang out was really important. My dad wanted to watch uh, uh, the games. There's a lot of games on, and so uh, TV size became very important. When we got there, we realized that the TV was not big enough, and so we went out and bought another TV that was bigger than the one they had there. I like a big bed because I don't want to touch Angela at night. Anybody like that? I, I want to be able to do this in my bed and not feel anything. So we searched houses with king-sized beds, and each person had a specific request, and finally we found the house that was just right for us. We were all a bunch of, what is it, Little Red Riding Hood? Is that who got in the, no, is that right? We're all, that's who we were. Sadly, Jesus did not give the disciples an option for VRBO. Jesus told them whatever house they enter, that's where they were going to stay. Jesus did not give them the option to find the right place. The house that suited their personal needs was never in the cards. Whatever house they came to, whatever house opened their door, whatever person said, come on in, that's the house they were staying in. That's it. Peter was probably looking for a gymnasium. John and James, because they were fishermen, they were probably looking for something on the water. 
Judas wanted something in the financial district. Matthew was probably looking for a college town. No matter what they were wanting, they would stop and stay at the first house they came to, the first house that welcomed them. Again, what was Jesus trying to teach here? I think that Jesus was trying to teach the C word, contentment. Be content. Be happy with your circumstances. Be satisfied in the situation that you are in and trust that God has you in that situation for a reason, for a purpose. When God wants to move you out of that situation, he will move you. Until then, stay there and be content. Notice what Jesus says. Go to the house, and when you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. When it's time to leave, God will allow you to know that. By the way, contentment is a very hard lesson for me. It's a very hard lesson for you. Amen? Do you feel that you're stuck in that dead-end job and you've got no upward momentum? You're frustrated and you're constantly asking God why he doesn't move you to a new place that you think will meet your needs. My only response to that question is that God has a plan for you being in the place that you're in and you should be content in that situation until he opens the door for you to leave. By the way, you could apply that to just about anything in life. You like a better house? Well, generally, better homes cost more money and require more time. You like a better car? Well, that car usually comes with a car pay- payment, and God knows you don't need that. You imagine how much better our lives would be if we would just be content with our surroundings and be content with the things that are around us. I wrote a, I didn't write a quote, I read a quote. This quote says this, what is the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? Our attitude towards it. Every opportunity has a difficulty and every difficulty has an opportunity. Jesus wanted these disciples to see their living situations not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity to grow themselves and also as an opportunity to share the gospel. Now imagine if we walked out of here today and we looked at all the obstacles around us with that type of mentality. That, hey, I'm, ex- I'm receiving difficulty today because God's trying to grow me as a person, but he's also trying to give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Imagine how that would affect and change and radicalize our lives. If we were completely dependent on God and we were completely content with where he had us, that would be an amazing thing. Look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be what? And be what? Content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Be content. Here's our third lesson this morning. We should be, we see the disciples being completely obedient. We see that in, the, in this process of sharing the gospel, there's going to be consistent obstacles. Here's number three. We will have continued objections. Continued objections. Now, this is the sad part, the scary part. This is, this is probably what perked the ears of the disciples up when they heard Jesus say this in verse five. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus is not saying, hey, they might not receive you. No, he's saying when they don't receive you, 
You're going to go places where they will not receive you in a positive way. There's an old story about a pastor leaving a church at his farewell dinner. He tried to really encourage one of the pillar members of the congregation. He said, don't be so sad. The next pastor, the next pastor might even be better than me. And she responded back, that's what they said last time, and it just keeps getting worse. (laughs) I guess when your church feels that way about you, it's probably time to move on. Have you ever heard the statement, you've worn out your welcome? You've worn out your welcome? I probably have, and probably so have you. Sadly, disciples would not get that opportunity. They would not get the opportunity to hear, you've worn out your welcome. Jesus knew in some situations that he was sending his disciples into fierce rejection. He was really, Jesus was doing it, he was really putting their lives on the line as they were preaching and teaching his message. And especially if you looked at Jesus' message the way those people looked at it, because they looked at Jesus' message as blasphemy. And blasphemy should be punished by death. Jesus himself, when he would go to synagogues and when he would go to the street corners and when he would go to the city squares, he would teach his message and people would pick up stones wanting to kill him. I've heard people say, well, I don't know. I can't go on that mission trip. Um, That's that's probably not going to be safe over there. Yeah, it won't be safe. Whoever said that missions was safe? Whoever said that going next door to tell somebody about Christ would be safe? It's never safe, but it's always right. Missions is never safe, but it's always right. Friend, I'm going to tell you right now, you should never be afraid of going into an unsafe situation. I'll just be honest with you. Because everywhere Jesus went was unsafe, and everywhere that Jesus and his disciples were unsafe. That doesn't mean you should be dumb. It doesn't mean you shouldn't take precaution. Clearly, God's given us a life. This life is a gift. We should try to protect this gift. But at the same time, Jesus calls us into all the different corners of the world, and sometimes those corners can be very unsafe. Well, Jesus was seeing his his disciples into a place where there could be some significant, some significant problems. There was a poet that once said this, there's an eagle in me that wants to soar and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. When I read that, that spoke to me. There's an eagle in me that wants to soar and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. You know, there's a part of us humans that like to sit in the mud and muck and every single one of us has that potential. Did you know that? Inside every single one of us There's part of us that just likes to get dirty, to wallow in the mud and in the muck. There are some of us who like division. There are some of us who like arguments. There are some of us that like to spread false things and lies. There are some of us that like to say bad things about other people behind their backs. There are some of us that just like to fight, right? We know people like that. People that just like to fight and like to stir it up. You need to to remember this. He, Jesus was talking to Peter here. Peter was a fella, Peter was a fella that liked to fight. He liked to fight. Remember the night that they came to get Jesus in the garden? It was Peter who was ready to fight the entire army. 
He was the one that pulled out the sword and sliced the guy's ear off. You remember that? Man, he was ready to go. So Jesus is calling these disciples to go into a potentially volatile situation, and he's sending Peter in. Peter, you're the guy. I'm going to send into a volatile situation the guy that's ready to fight all the time. So how do you think Peter would have responded if the townspeople picked up rocks against Peter and his other brothers and, and Jesus? Don't you think Peter would have been the guy who says, well, if they're going to pick up rocks, I'm going to go find me a boulder. I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to get in that muck. I'm going to get dirty with them. And friends, Jesus did not desire that of him, and I don't believe that Jesus desires that of us. In a moment, you'll see that Jesus had no desire to go to war with the culture Jesus had no desire to impose his will on society. No, Jesus, remember, Jesus wanted to collapse the culture. He wanted to collapse the worldly culture with the truth of his message. He wanted to change the culture radically through grace and through peace and through forgiveness and through mercy, but also in telling the truth. I think that's what Jesus is looking for us to do today as well to be truth bearers, to be image bearers, to love others, to forgive others, to show grace, to show mercy, but to stand up for what's true in a loving way. I don't believe that Jesus is looking for us to be dominating. I believe he's looking for us to be devoted, devoted to one another, as scripture tells us, but also to be devoted to him. Jesus knew that there would be opposition and instead of sinking in the mud, of discussions and arguments that go nowhere, he commanded them to move on. Just move on. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus knew that just because the disciples would move on, his message, guess what, would linger behind. In planting the seed, you plant the seed in the dirt. Now, you may not ever see that seed germinate, but eventually it will. Just because the disciples leave doesn't mean that the message leaves with the disciples. No, the message continues to stay and to germinate. While some towns might initially reject the message of Christ, in time, perhaps that seed of the gospel would grow into salvation. Jesus knows, by the way, our time is valuable. So this morning, to answer this question in, the, in your mind and maybe in your heart, where are you wasting your time and your energy? By the way, I see most of this, I see most of this on social media. Some of you forget your preachers on social media and sees the things you say. My goodness. I know so many people wasting valuable gospel sharing energy on fruitless arguments on the internet. Fruitless arguments. How many times, by the way, when you get into an argument on Facebook, how many times do you say, boy, I'm going to change this person's mind. I'm really going to let them know how right I am. I'm going to give all kinds of great points, and we're going to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And how many times, by the way, does that person ever change their mind? Here's a better question. How many times do you ever change your mind? Like, never. And so at the end of the day, what we've done is we've wasted our time and we've wasted our energy. Energy and time that we could have put used to doing better things. Not just sharing the gospel, but lots of better things. One of which would clearly be sharing the gospel. In John chapter 9, verse 4, 
It says this, we must, we must quickly carry out the task assigned by the one who sent us. Why? Because night is coming and nobody can work. Guys, our time is valuable. Your time is valuable. My time is valuable. And I, I hope that we'll begin to use our time in 2019 to share the gospel instead of sowing seeds of argument and discontent and backbiting and troublemaking. I promise you that's a much better way of doing it. So here's the last thing. We see the disciples were completely obedient. We know that Jesus said there's going to be consistent obstacles. We know there's going to be objections everywhere. And then lastly, look at what the disciples do in, verse, in Roman numeral 4. They were caring observers. Who were they observing? Jesus, of course. They were compassionate observers doing what Jesus told them to do. Look what verse 6 says. And they departed and went to the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And they departed and went to the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Jesus expected his gospel to grow feet. He expected his gospel to grow feet. It would be the feet of the disciples that would carry that gospel through the towns and the villages and the cities and even to the ends of the earth. More than that, they would be preaching and teaching and healing all in their wake, driving out demons. Jesus commands them to take nothing but to give everything. Such is reality, by the way, of the cross. Jesus takes nothing but gives everything as he dies on the cross. And Jesus commands his disciples to see the needs around, around them, observe those needs, and observe Jesus' nature of acting towards those needs. I like to read and listen to all sorts of stories and podcasts. I, I recently read about a woman who went into surgery for a cataract in her eye. We've seen those, that issue before. She'd been suffering for years with the irritation in her eye and her vision in her eye was becoming very, 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 very poor to where she could not see. And so she went in for surgery after a doctor's appointment. For 35 years, by the way, she suffered with this problem of having this cataract in her eye. And it was so painful and so irritated that she finally had surgery. When they were about to perform the surgery on the eye, this is a true story, a nurse noticed something really unusual about this woman's eye. She had a contact on. She had a contact on the eye. So the nurse took the contact out. Then she noticed another contact beneath the first one. And so she took that contact out. And, and she did it again and again and again. And she repeated the process on this one woman, on this one eye, 27 times. This woman over the years had 27 contact lenses in one eye. By the way, it set a world record. So how did this happen? For, for 35 years, she had been wearing disposable contacts. And over the years, she would wake up and she was convinced that her contact was missing. In reality, the contact had become dislodged and her eye had rolled back onto her eyeball. And so she would think that, well, she didn't have a contact in, so she would put another contact on. And she repeated the, the procedure of thinking that she had lost the contact lens and then replacing the contact lens 27 times over. For 35 years, she suffered. Instead of going to the doctor and seeing the person that could fix her blurred vision at the moment of irritation, at the moment of pain, she just tried harder to fix the problem herself. 
Over and over and over again, she tried to fix the problem herself. She kept adding something else to the story, to their eye, thinking that it must be this problem and I'll fix it myself. What this woman didn't need was something else added to her life. She needed something from her life removed. She needed a healer. Isn't it great that Jesus is our great physician, that he sees our need, and instead of us coming to him, he comes to us. Friends, that's exactly what Jesus does with the the disciples. He sends them to where the need is. Brothers and sisters, you have a need in your life, and chances are someone's coming to your life, and that person's helped your need. But I promise you this, that somewhere in your sphere of influence, there is a need that only you can meet, and Jesus, as his disciples, has sent you to that place. To be an observer of Christ, to be Jesus, Our goal should be Matthew 25, verse 21. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this this small amount, and so I will now give you more responsibilities. Let's go celebrate together. Isn't that our goal? To hear what Jesus tells us to do, to do it, and at the end of the day, hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant.